Hello there, and welcome to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, joined by Sun Devil Source reporters, Maxwell Madden. Max, how are you this fine Thursday afternoon? I'm doing great. Arsenal is up 4-1 in the first half of a Europa League quarterfinal, so... We're glad your team is doing well. Kalen Jones, how are you, KJ? Uh, my soccer team is not doing well, but it's pretty funny. Max is in the Europa League. That sounds fun. Really, because I think Chelsea might be soon in the Europa League as well. <laughs> Our very own site publisher, Chris Carbon. Chris, how are you today? I'm trying to figure out whether I'm more excited by what Otani's doing or Tiger Woods and the Masters. Uh, both of those things are pretty fascinating. So we're going to get right into it, though, with some ASU football. Not Tiger Woods, not Shohei Otani. Herm Edwards, actually, uh, uh, talking about cutting players this past Tuesday. It's one of the biggest storylines of the week, especially uh, not just in Tempe, but nationally. Uh, the quote is, Herm Edwards said, uh, following practice on Tuesday, we were in the process of evaluating players between now and next week. You're going to find out the situation here, whether you continue to be part of it or not. I told them that's what I told them when I took the job. That's the way you be honest with guys. It's always an evaluation. It's always participation. It's always autograph your performance. That is your resume when you practice. I told some guys if you continue to stay hurt and stay in the training room, you have no tape. We can't grade you if you have no tape. We can't grade the training room. All of a sudden, some guys got well. It's amazing. College football is one of those sports, in fact, you give out 85 scholarships, and I think sometimes these players think, oh, well, there's 85 scholarships, I'm good. No, you're not good. You've earned a scholarship because your ability to be a student athlete. you got to make sure you're able to handle that part of the assignment, being a student part and the athlete part. It's a combination of both. When you don't meet that standard, there's consequences. And then to clarify the question uh, to clarify the question uh, of cutting players uh, and, and if he would be able to keep uh, the scholarships for players that weren't on the team, he said, no, I would say there are some guys that are at risk of maybe not being part of the team. They're not going to lose their scholarships. We're not taking scholarships. Their scholarships are good. They might not participate as an athlete. They might just become students. So, Chris, you wrote a story about this. ASU players at risk of maybe not being part of a team. Uh, that can be checked out at sundevilsource.com. It's one of the lead stories uh, on our homepage. Um, what was your reaction to his comments? Well, it's just something that you don't – you're never going to really see coaches say publicly. Sure, you're going to say to your team, if you're hurt but you're not injured and you've been cleared to practice, you got to get out there. Um, you, coaches, especially when you're new, you're trying to establish a culture, right? You want to make sure that guys are bought into what they're doing, they're invested, they're practicing hard, you can't have locker room cancers, et cetera, et cetera. And so establishing all that stuff is important. Now, what Herm did is, is extremely unorthodox because normally you would never have a coach say those things in public and certainly not in a way that can make it so that you're conflating being injured with or, or you know hurt with being cut potentially right the NCAA has a rule a lot of people probably don't know this but it's after coaching transitions uh, it allows for a student to continue at the school while still receiving aid still on scholarship and not be part of the team and the team can replace that player's scholarship toward the 85 now it's a little bit uh, confusing. You can't also replace that uh, initial counter scholarship. So you only get 25 guys that you can enroll in any given year. If all of a sudden the coaching staff decided to cut bait on a bunch of guys, well, you're not going to get back to your 85 because you're not going to be able to do it with the 25 number. Okay. Now, the reason why I think that Herm Edwards probably shouldn't have said those things, it primarily relates to the negative – uh, attention that it was going to receive both kind of misconstrued or misappropriated 
by people. Uh, main, you know, mainstream media, a lot of people have confirmation bias. They thought that Herm Edwards wasn't going to be a good hire. This is something that they can then u- use to serve their agenda. And then this quote did kind of get viral. Uh, there were articles written on The Athletic, CBS Sports, SEC County Live, The Spun, and most of them were just noting that this went viral and that this was just classic Herm Edwards you know, saying something that maybe he shouldn't have said, that he didn't know what he was talking well, about. that's true. And also, some of those reporters weren't there. I think context from not being in the room when you're when you're listening to the entire thing and you have an in-person experience, I think that also kind of can distort. Uh, but the other, the other part of it I think is important to say is that uh, this isn't the NFL. You know, he's used to a, a 53-man roster or 46 guys playing. Perception externally doesn't really affect you in any kind of a way in the NFL. But you're actually recruiting in college football against your peers in the league. And I guarantee you that those peers that you have are going to take this and they're going to put their own spin on it. And what they're going to say is, hey, if you're hurt at ASU, you might get cut. And then even if you tell players, well, that's just misconstrued and that's not what we were saying, it's sort of like it's going to peck at people like a woodpecker. You know, like, oh, but maybe if I go to ASU, I might be, you know, it's going to influence some some people to some degree. Now, I personally, you know, in covering the program, right, covering this beat, we love that Herm Edwards is really open, that he's engaging, that practices are open, all that stuff. But I think that there's still a learning curve that he's dealing with here. How, Kalen, how do you and, and Max think that uh, the sentiment is going to be perceived by by the players they have on the st- uh, on the roster right now. So JJ Wilson was actually speaking with a couple reporters like earlier today, and um, he was mentioning what the conversation was like. It was fall, um, I believe the conversation came after a special teams meeting, and from what he said, you know, the players it was more of an inspirational tone. It wasn't this negative rah rah conversation like every you know most publications are portraying this as it wasn't a negative thing it was more used as motivation to say hey you guys need to play at the level that you're capable of playing or you're not going to see the field which is I mean obviously the the context of the words what was said was completely different from that but the players aren't taking it as you know they're you know guys aren't gonna be completely and again it might be because we've spoken two players that I've spoken to at least about it have been you know players who are entrenched to be starters and that's JJ Wilson and and Manny Wilkins and both guys their reception to it wasn't necessarily like you know freaking out they were more nonchalant about it mainly because you know they one they've been handling business during the spring and two they know that they're going to play so uh, as far as what the players are saying about it it's not necessarily a fearfulness it's more of an attitude of where we got to make sure that everyone's being held accountable and that's the biggest thing here yeah I agree Kalen and you know you are probably going to see the guys that are locked in starters are you know going to be really for this whole thing it might be different when you get down I mean obviously we I don't think any of us have talked to uh guys deeper you know maybe than too deeper beyond that uh since about where where they're at but I I did find it fascinating how there seems to be sort of a disconnect between what the actual message was and what Herm was saying and then that leads to a disconnect like the the message that ASU is sending to its recruits and then that leads to CBS, SB Nation, Deadspin, all of these one-off articles talking about how, oh, he's spitting the truth or he's saying something normal or, like, what the hell is he doing? Mm-hmm. And so I think that lack of consistency really here is uh, is the interesting part. And that kind of leads into a question that I had was how are these messages going to be perceived? Chris, I know you talked a little bit about it, but how are they going to be perceived by potential recruits and was this necessary to say as kind of a motivational tool? Right, yeah. I mean, I did kind of touch on that. I, th- I think um, – reiterating 
it's it's going to be used to negatively recruit against ASU. At some point in time, it will. Maybe it will immediately. Maybe it will down the road. Maybe you know somebody gets sent an article, whatever. The, the, the danger that you run into is we live in a, in a world, unfortunately, where people take headlines or they take what people have to say about something in a short tweet and then they just assume that that is factually what transpired, right? This is the story. This is what happened. This is Herm. And, and, and you know, there's no ramifications for that with the people. They don't, people don't care about drawing some conclusion about some tweets or whatever that they see from a headline and then they go off you know, and they and they and they will say whatever they're going to say. And again, people they want to confirm a bias that you already have. Oh, Herm Edwards hasn't been a coach for a really long time. Doesn't know what he's doing. Ha ha. This is Exhibit A or Exhibit B, C, D, whatever. And and that's sort of unfortunate because, as Max said, what actually, if you just watch the video and you read a transcript of what transpired, that's different than the way people took it. People literally I saw on, on Twitter were saying, this is disgusting. You can't cut people's scholarships and kick them off the team when you're, they're injured. Which was amazing because like in he didn't even stop after saying anything about cutting. He kept going to say that nobody would end up losing a scholarship. Yeah, I mean, he didn't even initially use the word cut. Yeah, Cut became what people took from what he had to say, right? He just said, look, you know, maybe it's not a good fit. Maybe maybe you don't fit in with what we're doing and you're not happy and you don't want to play anymore, but you can stay on scholarship and maybe we're not happy and we have a conversation and we decide that we're going to move on from one another in this situation. That's just a, you know, this stuff happens all the time. But again, it, I think I think what it speaks to that's important here is Herm Edwards' inexperience in the college, you know, environment where the way that these things get polluted and misconstrued and used against you. And I think that being savvy in those areas is a, is an important part of being a college head coach. And I think that from this experience, he'll sort of see kind of how it manifested and then make decisions about how he interacts subsequent to, to it. And then this kind of leads into, I mean, just the fact that he's been kind of a different head coach than a lot of other coaches in Division One football. Definitely different than Todd Graham, the previous head coach of ASU. And I kind of wanted to ask you guys what you guys think about do you guys think this philosophy of being so open about praxis, being so open about his philosophy, is that good for the program? It, it seems like fans are appreciating it. It, it, it seems like uh, it, it seems like everybody really around the program is having more fun, and and you know all the players are saying positive things. So, what do you guys think about the difference that he's bringing to college football compared to a, a, a more traditional head coach? So the dynamic between you know the coaches and the players now, I mean from every single player I've talked to, there's been an excitement. There's been the sort of willingness to, you know, go out there and sit through film, go out there and practice through, you know, hot summer days. Like these guys have an enthusiasm. Like obviously it's a new head coach and everything else, but there's an enthusiasm um, internally. And obviously, you know, the way that the national media is able to spin things or perceive you know, the way that everything's set up. And even now it's outset, you know, we were skeptical of it too. And, you know, we still have a right to have reservations about it, how everything will turn out. But um, I think the most important factor, obviously we can say what we want to say, but the players and the coaches seem to be 
on the same page in terms of you know dealing with everything moving forward. One of the key words that has been thrown around um, by players, at least to describe the relationship between coaches and players now, is there's a partnership. Like there's that, um, I guess uh, not not equal e- equal level of respect, but um, there's an understanding that you know it's a business, but at the same time players can be much more loose and they've enjoyed it to this point and sorry to ramble essentially get to that point but (laughs) i think that i think that this is something we were talking about a couple days ago is that some of that sort of positivity and you know buying into the system can just be the fact that it's new and there's that newness and it's different and they're sort of buying into that oh the the coach is more fun we can talk we can wear a hat in the training facility and you know it goes the other way as well so if if some more strict guy were to come in they would probably buy into it uh, there's you know. credibility behind this too, though. Yeah, no, yeah, there is. Um, and so, but getting back to what Rob was talking about, do we, th- you know, how do we evaluate him so far? Um, you know, practice and community outreach and sort of getting the fan base to, to believe in it a little bit. I think that it hasn't been it hasn't been bad, and I think he's definitely getting the fans involved in practice and having the coaches come out uh, like they did last week. But in reality, he's going to be judged on results, and so these guys can be you know happy-go-lucky and and practice and everything's going great but when they you know if they lose the first two games or you know if if they go through a a rough patch in the season people are going to change and that's really like when it comes down to it uh, how he's going to be evaluated so that's all i got on that no there's a there's a couple different i think that are separate components to this The, the first is uh the the how this is perceived externally in your community, with your fans, your boosters, media as a conduit to that audience. Um, I asked all of, I asked uh, on the 24-7 network, all the other publishers that cover programs, what their practice policies are for the spring, because I wanted to get a sense of how that compares to ASU. ASU is the only program in the Pac-12 that has practice open in uh, 1 through 15 in their entirety, and all 15 can be can be shot. Uh, you know, filmed, still, and and video. Um, so, and what you see is, you know, not just media out there doing their job and putting video clips of all these players and everything every day, but also the f- a lot more fans, right? You guys remember coming to practice before and there was the sign that greeted you out front, this is a no technology zone. And they had the, you can't use your cell phone and you can't do this and you can't do that. And so people arrived and it was like, you know, do I have to walk through a metal detector? <laughs> like, am, am I going to get in trouble for taking a call during practice, right? There's none of that stuff right now, right? So that, that in and of itself, that makes your audience more amenable to being impressed by what you're doing, happier with the experience that affects your psyche and the way that you perceive everything to be. That that benefits a place like ASU in particular because let's face it, ASU doesn't have a really deep, deeply strong fan base, right? They have some really passionate fans, but they don't have enough of those people when compared with everybody else in the country. So for them to be able to get more saturation of coverage on social media, you know, on on you know, sites like Sun Devil Source and in the press, that that only helps the way that Herm Edwards is perceived and, and, and the program is perceived more broadly. And also reporters like the access right and it's it's you know we're not supposed to be have a you know any sort of emotional impact in terms of our reporting you're supposed to be dis- dispassionate in the reporting but man if you put up a wall to practice and you make me wait every single day after a while somebody's going to get a little frustrated with that and then maybe that filters into how you think about 
this program that you're that you're you know reporting on that you're evaluating right then the other component of this is the way that um, a team is affected and influenced and that's a very separate thing um, one of the things I've noticed from covering ASU for a long time is that the things that that people like fans like reporters like whatever about coaches initially sometimes tend to be the things that they don't like about them before those coaches get fired. So if you look at it as an example, when Dennis Erickson was hired at ASU, he also had the NFL practice vibe and it was loosey goosey and relaxed and whatever. And players loved it. But then what happened is they they lost discipline, right? They didn't have accountability to things. And then their habits got worse and then they became a really penalized team and then they had became an, a team that didn't have assignment soundness and all that stuff and so people went from liking Dennis Erickson for a lot of those initial things to saying that these things are the reasons he should be fired Todd Graham when he came in he was a disciplinarian he was hard a very hardcore rigid person we've talked about this in the past and players immediately bought into that and they liked we have a lot more structure now and it's disciplined and organized and organized and we know that that affects our play on the field and we have fewer you know mistakes and penalties and all that kind of thing well but by the end of the tenure people were totally worn out on Todd Graham and the drill sergeant routine was over and he didn't connect with players well enough and it was a, a whole nother uh, way of looking at the same exact personality the question for Herm Edwards is going to be, as we go forward, are you going to be able to maintain the discipline in a structure that's a little bit more relaxed, right? More, more user-friendly to players. Are you going to be able to have the accountability, the discipline? Are, are players going to, going to self-regulate uh, uh, um, that with their peers, right? Is that something that you can foster and develop? Because if you do get there, then that's when you can actually have some special things happen, right? But... but I think that there's the possibility of that here, but but it's still too early for us to make any sort of determination about that. We haven't even had a season, much less anything you know beyond that. But one thing you did tell me, Chris, yesterday was just that he's coming from this NFL, almost all NFL background, at least in the recent decades, and he he brings that idea that he doesn't he doesn't think he thinks that the idea that practices are too revealing is nonsense. He is bringing the kind of philosophy that you know. They do in the NFL of training camp being open and uh, obviously spring training uh, in Major League Baseball being open. And you were just talking to me about how that's kind of a, a philosophy that draws fans and draws people to think this guy knows what he's doing. Well, look, Todd Graham and his staff were very nice to me personally, and we had a good relationship. But I told him to his face directly, I just totally disagree with your approach to the access with practice, especially in the spring, but even in the fall outside of when you're doing your installs for opponents. Like the first year or two, maybe three years actually, they had the most access. We would go out and I would literally know what they were gonna do to every opponent's formation. Like how are they gonna defend each formation, right? Now I wouldn't report that stuff because that that, would get practices closed in a heartbeat, right? Mm -hmm. But I would wait until Friday or Saturday after other teams had done were done preparing, and then in our game preview stuff, I would say, "Oh, here's some analysis of what you want to look for and why." Okay, that and that that was really helpful. But I understood closing down that that segments of it. Okay, the thing that I said to Todd Graham that made no sense is, "You're going to close practices when people aren't able to shoot the practices." Okay, there's no possible way that any reporter is going to reveal the formation, 
how it was being defended, the down and distance, what every route concept and blocking concept was on each play. All of those things are necessary in a retelling of what happened in practice for an opponent to understand here's how we are going to defend this specific play. And you need film to get all that. Well, film or, or, or somebody who can see the game like a coach yeah. and be able to convey all, all of these things and what's going on on both sides, yeah. right? No, there, was no, there was no reporting of practice ever, ever, ever at ASU in Todd Graham's tenure that revealed any, anything that was going to allow an opponent to prepare for a very specific play concept. And by the way, that stuff is actually even irrelevant by the time you get to the second or third week of the season because nobody's looking at what a reporter had to say from August to determine <laughs> how we're going to try defend this team when they could just put the film on and look at all their formations, right? So logically, it didn't make any sense. And when I said these things to Todd Graham, his answers, they didn't hold up logically, right? Now, you know, you're still trying to cover a program and you're not going to try to you know, step on anybody's feet or whatever. But what happens, I, I believe, what happens is coaches, they get into a tit-for-tat thing with other coaches. Like somebody cuts access to practices and it's real secretive about what players are doing well and whatever. And another coach goes, ooh, maybe we should do that. And then they have this competition and then eventually no, nobody's watching anything. But guess what? That's what leads to fans and media being unhappy with the experience, which then leads to a higher threshold of wins that you need to achieve on the field for people to be happy with what's going on in your program. You know, when practices were more open, you had reporters that could explain more what some of the challenges were more easily. Practices are closed, people are just gonna be reporting on, you know, in a cynical way almost about what your problems are because there's no ability to explain or to temper or, or any of those things. And that's something that I think that coaches a lot of times are not really apt to understand intuitively. Herm Edwards, again, comes from an NFL background. Guess what? All of their, their uh, uh, camp practices are open to the public and reporters. They've got 1,000 fans that are watching everything. People got their phones, they're recording. So Herm Edwards' feeling is, at the NFL, it's fine. This is a lower level than the NFL. What do I care if fans come out or reporters come out and want to shoot? And the truth is, I'm 100% confident that there will be nothing additionally learned by opponents that's going to help them prepare over what was previously the case. It's only a positive thing for ASU and for, and for Herm Edwards. So moving on now to uh, the spring game. It's going to be a week from this Saturday. It's going to be April 13th at 7 p.m. from Sun Devil Soccer Stadium. Obviously not at Sun Devil Stadium with the renovations going on and uh, the construction being done on the east side of the stadium. Herm Edwards has said there's 10 to 11 guys that have their starting spots locked up, and he previously has stated that maybe six freshmen could start week one against UTSA. New, newcomers. Six newcomers. newcomers. Six, six newcomers, excuse me, uh, because of uh, transfers. Junior like college, yeah. Casey Tucker, yeah. yeah. Um, guys, what spots are still up for grabs, and who are the most surefire starters we expect to see uh, on April 13th for this spring game? Well, so obviously, um, quarterback position is locked up. I, I, running backs locked up. Receiver is probably you know where you see the most fluidity, and we've seen it since the beginning of spring. Really, the willingness to try out pretty much everyone on the depth chart that's a scholarship player, and including Trevor Russell. They've been rotating different players in at. at uh, wide receivers, so you're looking at five or six guys who could be vying 
uh, for additional roles. Obviously, Nikhil Harry is entrenched. Kyle Williams, those are probably your two most solidified starters. But for that third role, and even rotationally, you know, dispel Harry and uh, Williams. We'll see who fills out those roles. And even beyond that, we could see. I think that the general consensus is we sort of look at it from a. Okay, what did they do last season? They had three primary receivers. So then we obviously have to, you know, make that fit for this year. But I think they could realistically go with a longer rotation, uh, possibly four. I would. I don't see five as realistic, but four in terms of being able to get uh, Jenkins and Frank Darby, a couple guys that have really impressed in spring so far. And then on the defensive side of the ball, uh, I think the linebacker, especially the Mike position, is still something that's that's very much up for grabs. Kalen Thomas has been getting the majority of the of the one reps, but I don't think that anyone is counting out um, Nick Ralston the last Nick two Ralston, days. Nick Ralston, right? Mm-hmm. Was, right, right, right? He's with the ones the last two days. So, so. Nick Ralston, even Merlin Robertson, when he when he for eventually sure. arrives, um, so that's a, obviously an incredibly important position and one to keep your eye on. Yeah, look, it's you know the, the guys who were your starters and good players last year are going to be starting again, right? Right. Like Kobe Williams and Chase Lucas are your starting corners, and they um, both looked good in practice. I mean, you know. There you go. So, um, you, uh, JJ Wilson is going to be a starting linebacker. I think Karan Crump, if healthy, is starting. Mm-hmm. Um, Renell Wren is going to be a starter. Like you're not going to not start Renell Wren when push comes to shove. I know they like Jordan Hoyt and they're giving other guys one reps and all that stuff. It's pretty clear cut. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, uh, you know, I think Eno Benjamin's probably in a good position to become a starter. Not saying he's going to be, but you know, he's in a really great position. Nikhil Harry and Kyle Williams are starters, right? It, you know, there's some there's some places on on your roster where you have more room for guys to move up or move down. Like safety is a place where you could have you know a little more action. Uh, we know on the offensive line, Cole Cabral is going to start at center. We know Quinn Bailey's going to start right tackle or somewhere on the line. Um, Steve Miller's probably going to start today. For the first time, they had Zach Robertson at left guard with the twos. So my my you know inclination is, okay, Alex Osoye, you had a great spring, but guess what? The other guys are coming in here. Casey Tucker's going to start at left tackle. Zach Robertson might start at left guard with Coker Ball at center, Steve Miller at right guard, and Quinn Bailey at right tackle. But – there's still an evaluation process. It's not just the last few spring practices. It's going to be like the first week to two weeks of camp where these guys are really kind of fluid and we're seeing Jared Bubak and Mark Walton get one reps with tight ends and Alex Osoya is maybe still you know up there battling and who's going to start at safety. Is Jalen Harvey even like locked into a safety mm-hmm. spot? Probably, but I don't know for sure. You got a Shari Crosswell coming in, right? Four-star recruit who... His tape is very impressive. Right. I mean, what's going to happen with Merlin Robertson? Could he come in and start as a Mike linebacker? I don't know. We're going to see. It's going to be all that stuff's going to be kind of kind of neat to watch unfold. Um, but yeah, I, I do think there's probably more. I think there's probably more than ten or eleven guys that are locked into starting spots. But it's it's nowhere near twenty. You know, it's probably thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and then there's you know six, eight spots that are kind of up for grabs. And we will make sure to give you all the coverage on those as as the practices and the spring game unfolds as we head into Camp T. But now transitioning from the field and over to the court, following Villanova's 79-62 victory in the national championship this past Monday, the 2018-2019 national championship odds were updated. According to Vegas Insider, ASU has 60-1 odds to win it all next season. And to put those odds into a bit of context, uh, Bobby Hurley's team has the third best odds of any Pac-12 team. Oregon at 20 to one, and UCLA at 30 to one um, have better odds. And ASU is tied for eighth best odds uh, of any team in the country for next year. Guys, reaction? 
tied for eighth. Uh, I mean, the tied for eighth thing there, you're you're definitely right. But there are a ton of teams uh, tied for eighth, or almost ten. Well, they're yeah, they're the twentieth. They're the twentieth uh, ranked team down the list. Yeah, and it's all a matter of perspective. So I try, I try to look at the other teams also at sixty to one odds. Uh, teams like uh, Nevada, to be honest, sounds like a long shot to be with these other sort of power programs. Uh, Cincinnati, Maryland, Ohio State, Clemson, Miami, um, all of who have had a better track record, obviously, recently. Um, in terms of where that puts them in the Pac-12, that's uh, essentially estimating that they're the, the third or so best team in the Pac-12, which I think could be could be accurate. Um, I know we'll get into a little bit later. We'll see if something like Brandon Williams, if someone like Brandon Williams could change that eventually. But I think that's that's a fair assessment. It, there's just so much that can change, and 60 to 1 is just it's hard and difficult to gauge. Yeah, and, no, um, based on you know pre- previous episodes of the podcast, we've talked about how ASU's roster, you know, they're – they're fielding in significant talent coming in next year. So building off the success that they've had this year, it's not really shocking to me to see them rank that high. Maybe third in the Pac-12. I was shocked to see that. Um, like, I, again, like uh, USC being at 201, that that was different to me. But, again, like you're, you're looking at the talent that ASU is bringing in, the type of buildup that's established over the past year. And them being ahead of Arizona is the biggest shocker to and, me. Though. Yeah, Arizona's 101, uh, 100 to 1 odds. They're about 40 spots below ASU. So uh, one thing I want to say about with Max, um, Max's perspective, I think Nevada actually, the reason why it makes sense is when you're, when you're playing in the Mountain West and, and your competition's not very good, it, it gives you the opportunity to get a seed more easily. Like they're going to, They'll they'll be uh, like you know Boise State, New Mexico are in that league. New Mexico was kind of down. San Diego State was a little bit down, right? I just think that they'll with with what they return. I mean, this is a, a tangent, but with what they return, they'll probably be hard pressed to not have at least a seven or eight seed. And when you get to like a seven or eight seed, then you know that you're going to be you know right there in you know where you just have to win a few games and you're going to be in a Final Four. Now, you know. I don't expect they're going to be in a Final Four or anything like that. Now, to, as far as ASU, you know, I wrote an article recently. Some people probably read it. It just had to do with the fact that ASU was going to be probably a more talented team next year. Again, it's just a, it's a talent game, ultimately. The more four- and five-star recruits that you have, the, the harder it's going to be for you to underperform in a way that keeps you out of the tournament and, and so for ASU to not be a tournament team next year it might even be harder than this year, and especially when you look at the peers in the league, right? Because Arizona is going to be down almost invariably. I think, you know, USC is going to be down. USC had a really veteran, solid, good team. They're going to lose two or three of their best players, four maybe of their best players. So, you know, Oregon, Dana Altman sort of lamented calling his team kind of average and, and they were a little bit down. He's a very good coach. So they'll be better. UCLA is they brought in a, both UCLA and Oregon brought an amazing recruiting classes. And, and what, what I like about the odds is that it, it factors that in. They're taking into account how good these, some of these incomers newcomers are and how that's going to impact the teams. That's the same with ASU and ASU, like Max said, might even go up in odds if you get Brandon Williams, because he's the top remaining uncommitted point guard in the class. That leads right into talking about Brandon Williams, a six foot two, five star point guard, rated by 247 Sports as the sixth best point guard in his class and the 22nd best player in the nation in that class. ASU is in serious contention to land Williams. How seriously? We won't know until he visits. It's going to be this weekend. He's going to take an official visit to ASU. Unofficial, He's, I think. Unofficial, excuse me. Yeah. Unofficial visit. 
Um, and he's been tweeting about ASU. I know he's friends with Tayshawn Cherry, and he's been tweeting at Tayshawn Cherry that he's visiting. What are your guys' thoughts as ASU's finalizing its roster? Well, that, that's an important point because what happens is with in basketball especially, football too, basketball especially, if you get one marquee signature guy in a recruiting class, then that makes it subsequently easier for the next and the next and the next guy because they all want to play together in a really good class and you know they these guys understand that for their market value and the way they're going to be perceived playing in the tournament getting the exposure that influences how you know what happens in in the NBA draft right so i mean look at villanova i mean it's star player the guy who was the mvp of the final game is somebody that nobody was even talking about all year really so um so and, and also these guys know each other right they, you only have 50 to 100 really top tier recruits every year and they play on these circuits where they go around the country together all the time so they know each other really well so ASU already has three four star recruits it's a top 20 national type of a class if they get Brandon Williams the, the you know point guard from Crespi High School in Encino California in LA suburb then it's then it's unquestionably the best ASU recruiting class ever a top 15 maybe a top 10 borderline class nationally and it puts you into a conversation when you also have a Remy Martin, Kamani Lawrence, and some of these other guys of now taking a tournament team that you know was the last undefeated team in the country and turning that into a 25 to 30 win team and a team that could compete in the tournament. So, so absolutely, ASU is right there. Now, our understanding, just on the reporting of it, uh, Rob, is even though the, the, the signing period starts on Wednesday uh, – Brandon Williams is not really all that close to making a decision unless he's just like blown away and something happens on this ASU visit. Still may take visits to Gonzaga, Oregon, and maybe Kentucky. Kentucky's yeah, now in there kind yeah. of kind of uh, tinkering around. So this thing could still play out for a month or two. And a lot of times, um, you know, people talk about the national letter of intent period where you can start signing in, um, you know, this Wednesday of April, and then it goes until like May. The problem is that that's kind of irrelevant to elite recruits because they can sign a binding grant and aid document that doesn't bind the kid to the school, but it binds the school to the kid. And so Marvin Bagley, people remember he reclassified up last year. Well, he signed with Duke in, 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 in August and he was enrolled in classes two weeks later. You don't need to sign an NLI. So that, that means that a guy like Brandon Williams, who's really coveted as the top remaining point guard in, in, in the country, he can make a decision whenever he wants to. May, June, July, it doesn't really matter. So we don't know exactly. And he still happens to be kind of earlier in his process. So, so, so sources have said close to him. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if ASU is able, you know, following Chris's point, I don't know if I could match that, but. To, I mean, to that point, though, if ASU is able to supplement uh, a young class, as you mentioned, Chris, this is one of the best recruiting classes already in ASU history. You're supplementing that with the group that they already have, Rob Edwards, Remy Martin, additions that are already coming in. I think when you look at how ASU is set up in terms of just veteran experience and then newly additioned young talent, it's a pretty good setup in why they're probably, you know, rated as high as they are in the Vegas odds moving forward. So things looking good for ASU basketball. They got a chance now to sign a guy potentially trying to convince Brandon Williams that ASU is the place to go, to the place to play for the next 
year, maybe more than that. Um, that's all the time we have for this podcast. Alongside Sun Devil Source reporters Kaylin Jones, Maxwell Madden, and site publisher Chris Cartman, I'm your host Rob Warner saying so long and thank you for tuning in.